Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. Well, a few weeks ago, I came home from work to quite the gift, a completely reorganized kitchen. You see, my partner Skip had stayed home with our kids on that day because they were home on the winter break, and our house was in shambles after hosting a whole bunch of Christmas gatherings with family and friends. So Skip, being unable to handle any type of mess, took the opportunity to clean up some of our areas of our house on that day. Now, before you feel bad for him, you need to know that Skip loves to organize. He's the one who checks the expiry dates in our house. He's the one, if you open up his garage, everything has a place. If you open up a cupboard in our house where Skip has been, every, you can see everything that you want to get. Our fridge is organized because Skip does that. Organization is one of his gifts. Unfortunately for Skip, he's married to someone who's ty- a more lived-in type organizer. Now, I remember when we were first married, we had our first apartment and we had just like, we were just setting up our house and we had got, gotten all these gifts. You know how you get those gifts from wedding showers and that type of thing. So we had opened up all the boxes, deciding where everything was going to go. And I had taken a few magazines and I had like laid them out artistically on our coffee table. And there was a few other things, like a tray or some knickknack type things. I remember Skip came home and he said, oh, he goes, uh, are we going, are those things going to be staying there? with obvious doubt in his voice. And I said, yes, it makes our living room look lived in. And thus began this very strong distinction between Skip's and my organization style. See, he prefers everything to have a place and everything to go back to its place once it's been used. I like the more relaxed lived in mentality to things. So on this particular day, a few weeks ago, when I came home to that reorganized kitchen, I wasn't surprised to discover that Skip had been purging and cleaning the cupboards because earlier that day, I had received a text message that read like this. We have seven cans of butter chicken, 15 boxes of tea, and nine boxes of crackers. No need to reorder. (laughs) Now let me explain. For anyone who does online grocery shopping, you're gonna completely understand how this came to be because you see the stores have figured out how to do this prediction type shopping list for you. If you are very busy and you don't have a lot of time, you can log on to the store's websites and they have something called what I ordered last list. Anyone know what I'm talking about? And so our life is very busy and it's very hard to get to the grocery store. So weekly, all I'll do is I'll open up that list, what I ordered last, I'll check everything off, pick a pickup time, and then I'll go and pick up the groceries. But That is what I had been doing several months up until this point, and that is why there were so many duplicates of things inside our cupboards. You see, rather than saving my time, I was wasting my time. I was wasting our cupboard space, and I was wasting our resources. Each week, I was focused on making the wrong type of lists. I was making shopping lists, when instead I should have been making inventory lists. And friends, sometimes I think we have a tendency to approach prayer 
in this way. We make our list of needs before we ever pause to assess what it is we actually have already. So that's where we're going to dive into today. We're going to take a look at the list that we keep. Now, we're in week two of this series. It's called Reassembling Prayer. We're taking a look at the prayer that Jesus modeled for us called the Lord's Prayer. Last week, Pastor Keith, he looked at the first part of this prayer, and it was this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be honored. May your kingdom come. May your will be done as in heaven, so on earth. And he took a look at this portion of prayer and he helped us fix some of our faulty views on who we are praying to, Father God. The truth is, and Pastor Keith highlighted it so brilliantly for us, that it's very hard for some of us to understand who Father God is, especially if we've had a difficult experience with an imperfect father. But when we take a look at who Jesus is and how he lived on this earth, we can better understand who Father God is. It's like that song we just sang, I'll Choose the Jesus Way. It goes through all the things that Jesus did when he lived on this earth. You see, Jesus was continually kind and patient with many of those who we would find frustrating. Jesus lived this life of authentic love. He included everyone, especially those who society had deemed unlovable. Jesus would welcome everyone into community. He would embrace them and he would work on restoring their dignity. See, Jesus spoke with clarity and with love. He challenged the oppressors of his day, but he also showed them this incredible forgiveness. So if it's hard for us sometimes to understand who Father God is, Jesus encourages us that God is just like him. Pastor Keith said it like this, like son, like father. And when we reassemble our view of who Father God is with this understanding that he's just like Jesus, kind, patient, ever-present, always forgiving, all-loving, it helps us understand more who God is and it puts things into perspective for us. It's almost like standing in front of a kitchen cupboard to take stock of what we actually already have. Gaining a better understanding of who God is will likely affect the list that we tend to keep in our lives. And so today we're gonna continue reading in the prayer that Jesus modeled for his followers. And the next portion says this, give us today the bread we need now and forgive us the things that we owe as we too have forgiven what was owed to us. So give us today the bread we need now. It'd be very easy to conclude that this prayer prompt from Jesus is an invitation to go to him with our list of needs, right? I think I've been taught that before. When I read this portion, I need to go to God with all the things that I need to present the things that I'm looking for him to do, the the situations that are in my hand that are causing fear and anxiety. And you know what? God does do that. We read throughout scripture that God invites us to come to him with our needs. In Philippians, it says, tell God what you need. Then you will experience God's peace. 1 Peter 5 says, give all your worries and cares to God for he cares for you. In Matthew 11, Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. When our children were very little, they would hold up their hands to us constantly. And we had three children under the age of four. So you can imagine there was constantly someone someone reaching up saying, help me, help me. And as parents, what would we do? We would reach down 
and we would pull them up, wouldn't we? We would carry them. We would embrace them. This is the same invitation that God gives to us in these comforting passages. Come to me. Bring your needs to me. Let me carry the things that are too hard for you to carry. Friends, just like a child reaches for a parent, that's what God wants us to do. But when Jesus gives us the prayer prompt, give us today the bread we need now, he was not asking them to bring him a list of their needs. Instead, when he said this, the minds of the original hearers who were listening to him tell how to pray would immediately have been drawn back to a story that they had been hearing for generations. Anyone remember this story? Anyone online? Let us know in the comments. Did you, did you watch this story as a kid? Did you watch this movie as a kid? In one of the most memorable miracles ever recorded, God hears the cries of his people who are stuck in slavery in Egypt under Pharaoh. And God instructs this man named Moses to go and rescue his people, and God leads them to the Red Sea, and then God holds back the waters so that they can part through safely. It's one of the most memorable miracles ever recorded. Imagine, you'd never forget that moment if you had walked through the Red Sea. Except shortly later, God's people begin grumbling and complaining as they're walking into their next chapter. See, the journey has been long. They've been walking away from Egypt for a while now, and they're missing the comforts that come from living in one place at one time. It might sound crazy, but they are missing the comforts that came with living in Egypt. A solid roof over their head, plenty of food to eat. And we read that they've already forgotten about the hardships that came with being slaves in Egypt for decades. And they've forgotten of the ways that they've been praying to God to rescue them and how he had answered their prayers. And now they are freely walking away from Egypt. And the Bible tells us that they falsely begin to believe that it would have been better to just die in Egypt rather than walk through the wilderness feeling hunger. It says this in Exodus, if only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and we ate all the bread that we wanted. This is what they would have remembered, all the bread that we wanted. But now you have brought us into this wilderness to starve us to death. Here's the amazing thing about God. You'd think he'd grow angry, frustrated, annoyed by these people. He continually shows up for them, continually helps them. Yet because of his love for them, God hears their prayers of hunger, even though they're complaining. And the Bible says he begins to send them bread raining down from heaven each day. See, each morning they would wake up and God would send bread like rain down from heaven. And in the mornings, they would gather what they would need for the day. And by the midday, when the sun had rose high up in the sky, the Bible says that the bread would melt and it would not be able to be used anymore. They couldn't store food for the next day. But the next day, when they woke up, God would rain down bread again from heaven over and over because God was teaching them that he was a father that they could depend on daily. See, since the beginning of time, God has consistently been a faithful provider. Now, God's original plan for humanity was for us to live in this beautiful ecosystem that he created called Eden, and it was full of good and nourishing things for our bodies and our souls. In that garden, he placed everything 
that humanity could ever need. And he longed for humanity to want to stay in the garden and be with him. He gave Adam and Eve only one request. He said, do not eat from this specific tree because it would grant them the, un- the ability to understand evil. You don't need that knowledge, God was telling them. Trust me. But their actions, as they go to eat from the tree, declare that they don't trust God. And as a result, the relationship between God and humanity is severed. Yet still, God continues to make ways to be in relationship with them. See, throughout the Bible, God's actions are continually proving his care and his ability to provide. Faithfully leading, faithfully guiding, rescuing them from slavery. And then even though they're upset at him for rescuing them from slavery, he provides them with bread from heaven so that they are no longer hungry. And so in this moment, when Jesus is teaching those around him how to pray, he encourages them, go to God, ask him for the daily bread that you need. In doing so, he was reminding them of the faithfulness of God throughout history to be able to provide for the things that we actually need. And not soon after this happens that Jesus instructs the people around him how to pray this prayer, something very eerily similar happens. You see, Jesus is teaching this very large crowd in front of him, and the crowd begins to grow hungry. And so Jesus' disciples are around him, and it's growing late, and so the disciples suggest, hey, Jesus, maybe we should just send the people home for the evening. They can get dinner in their homes. They can come back tomorrow, finds food somewhere else. But Jesus does something that would once again remind them that God has an ability to provide. Instead of sending the crowds home for dinner, Jesus goes and he holds up a few loaves of bread and a few fishes. And he gets this from a young little boy. And after praying a prayer of gratitude, the Bible says, to his father, Jesus tells the disciples, go and hand out this food. And miraculously, This food multiplies to the point that it adequately feeds 5,000 men and many women and children in the crowd with food to spare. Now, in that moment, everyone who hears about this, and it's not just the people there in that moment, they they go home and they tell everyone, this Jesus guy just multiplied food. It was a miracle. You wouldn't believe it. The bread just multiplied. Everyone starts to hear about this amazing thing that has happened, And their their minds are reminded of the story that they've grown up hearing about God sending bread from heaven. And so the Bible says that this miracle causes a group of people the next day to go and find Jesus. This large crowd comes to go and find Jesus. And this is what Jesus says to them. He says, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understand these miraculous signs. Don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me his seal of approval. See, this miraculous sign that Jesus is referring to is actually that God the Father has sent him. In this moment, Jesus is revealing to them exactly who he is. It's as if he's saying to them, if you know who my Father is and the story of my Father, well, you already know who I am. Like Father like son. And so they respond and they say this to him, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate miracle bread while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. 
And Jesus says this back to them. I tell you the truth, Moses did not give them bread from heaven. My father did. And now he is offering you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then he says to them, I am the bread of life. You see, Jesus was making it crystal clear who he was and who their provider was. He's saying it had not been Moses. Maybe Moses had prayed on behalf of the people, but it had been God who had answered their prayer. God was their provider. It always had been God, and it always will be God. And in this moment that Jesus stood before them, God had provided this plan as well, which is, I think, why Jesus teaches them to pray in this way. Give us today the bread we need now, because he's illuminating a reality that sometimes shows up in our life, and it's this, our dependence on him. This is something we often neglect. It's a bold statement to pray, God, give me the bread that I need today, because it's a declaration that everything I have comes from God's hands. When I say, God, give me the bread I need today, what I'm really saying is, God, I can't even provide food that I need for myself. And this fights against our human tendency that we have to depend on ourselves. We live in this world that teaches you that you need to be self-made. If you want to do something, do it yourself. The way of the world tells you to depend on no one but yourself. To become self-made, you have to chart your own path. You've got to get your own resources. You've got to make it happen. But the way of Jesus is so different than the mindset of our world. The way of Jesus is an invitation to place our trust and our hope in something outside of ourselves. The way of Jesus is to daily declare that on my own I am not enough, that I actually need God for every single breath that I breathe. Give us today the daily bread, the things that I need today. This prayer prompt has a real present day focus to it. See, our human tendency is to look far into the future, to consider the multiple ways that life is going to play out. This approach often welcomes anxiety and worry as we attempt to create some contingency plans for our already plan A, plan B, and plan C. Friends, it's always wise to consider the future and make decisions today that will positively impact the next days to come. But it is unwise to allow our lives to be overtaken by the what if of life. See, Jesus doesn't teach us to pray for all the bread that we will ever need. He says that we should pray for what we need today, the things that I need today. Later in the passage, Jesus says this about reference to the future. He says, do not worry about tomorrow because God the Father knows exactly what you need. Do not worry because God the Father who is just like me, patient and kind and present and loving, he knows what you need. Friends, it's clear Jesus is asking us to protect against worry. This is something that can overrun your life. Worry should not be a part of our lives and it certainly should not be a part of our prayer lives because worry declares that there is something to be worried about. See, worry proclaims that God isn't able to provide for what I need, that God is unable to provide the things that I am worried about. So how do we do that? How do we not worry? Well, Jesus wants us to resist that temptation to keep our focus on 
today. Stay present in the moment. Instead of looking down the path that's looming in the future, he encourages us, look at today. Name the ways that God has provided for me today. Train myself to hold the situations of my life today in my hands and offer them to him and ask him to move. God, give me the bread that I actually need today. And then Jesus goes on, after he's dealt with this idea of needs, what we actually need, and he goes on to say that we should shift our focus then to the forgiveness that we need and forgive us the things that we owe as we too have forgiven what is owed to us. Have you ever noticed that we tend to tightly hold on to things? Experts will tell you that most of us walk through life gripped too firmly on things that are beyond our control. And experts say that we actually carry tension that we are completely unaware of. I want to do a little experiment for you. I'm going to invite you to take a moment and close your eyes. Whether you're in this room or online, I'm going to invite everybody to close your eyes. Now I'm going to invite you to pay attention to your jaw. What is it doing? Is it clenched? If it is, I'm going to invite you to shift some of the tension that might be there by moving it back and forth from side to side. Now notice where your tongue is sitting. Is it relaxed or is it firmly pressed against your teeth? If so, I want you to allow it to relax. Find a comfortable resting spot inside of your mouth. Now take a moment to notice what's going on with your back and your shoulders. Are they tense? If they are, I want you to allow your shoulders to loosen by rolling them backwards a few times. And then you can roll them forwards a few times. Maybe allow your neck to turn slowly from the right to the left gently releasing the tension that we often hold there. And then finally, if it's available to you, I'm gonna invite you to open up your hands and let your fingers stretch out a bit. Stretch out to their maximum potential. Maybe you wanna press your fingers against each other so that they extend to the past the point that they would normally go. And if you can, I want you to hold that outstretched posture for just a moment and then invite your fingers to open and close a few more times. Now that your hands are fully stretched out, I'm going to invite you to rest them back on your legs and open up your eyes. Can you notice any differences in your body? Is your jaw less clenched? Do you feel a bit more relaxed? Did it feel good to open up and close your hands, release the tension maybe you didn't even know was there? Were you surprised that your body holds stress and tension that you might not even be aware of? Movements like these allow us to recognize that sometimes we're holding on to something that I'm not even meaning to do. And this feeling of releasing tension is very similar to what Jesus wants for our lives when he encourages us to pray these words. Forgive us the things that we owe as we too have forgiven what was owed to us. Because friends, forgiveness is actually an invitation to release what was not meant for me to be holding on to. The reality of our humanness is that each of us falls short from the standard that the goodness of God requires of me. See, when God gave humanity free will, he gave us the choice to follow him or to choose our own way. 
And each of us chooses our own way, don't we? Sometimes it's in the big moments that everybody can see, but more often it's in the small moments, at least for me, where no one else ever sees but me and God. And those choices, whether it's those big moments or those small moments, the ones that everyone sees or no one can see, is what the Bible calls sin. See, when Adam and Eve chose their way over God's way, this was the introduction of sin, where humanity invited the knowledge of evil into our world. And the saddest part was that a completely good God could no longer be in their presence. We read in the Bible that the penalty of sin is actually death, but it's not just a physical death. It's an eternal death, an eternal separation from the creator that created us and loves us, an eternal separation from our good, good father. That is the thing that humanity owes. We owe the cost of choosing evil over trusting our good father. And the penalty is eternal separation. But friends, that's why Jesus came to our earth. That's what we were just singing about a moment ago. Because he came and he lived this perfect life and his death paid the price of the debt that we owe. His death was enough to cover all the sins, past, present, and future, of you and me and everyone else that's ever gonna live on this earth. His death provided the forgiveness of the debt that you and I Oh, so when we pray, forgive us our sins, this is again a declaration of our dependence on him. His death forgives the many ways I've broken away from him. His death forgives the many ways that I don't trust him. The many times I choose my way over his own way. Father, forgive me. That first line is like Jesus shining this big spotlight on the fact that we are human. And with this prompt, Jesus is reminding his friends, you're going to fall short. You need to remember you depend on God's grace. I'm going to pay the price for you. Through my death, there's going to be forgiveness. So admit that you need it and then live a life that shows that you have accepted it. But Jesus doesn't stop there. And oh, I think sometimes we wish that he did. Because the next part of this prompt is often the hardest one to speak or pray, as we too have forgiven what was owed to us. Now, it isn't hard to make a list of the things that are owed to you. I bet you if I asked you, you could come up with a whole bunch of ways that the world and people have wronged you. The people who have wronged me, the hurts and injustices that have been afflicted upon us, the ways that my life just has not been fair, the people who have benefited from my pain, these are the lists that it's often easy for us to pull up. Yet Jesus is saying, release them. Similarly to how we opened and closed our hands to release the tension that we feel there, Jesus is inviting us to release the debts that have been owed to us. Now, what I'm not saying is to forgive people and then allow them to continue to hurt you. That's why boundaries are so very important. There's this difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. The best definition for forgiveness I've ever read is this. Forgiveness is letting go and releasing someone from the debt that they owe me so that I can heal and they can heal too. Now, reconciliation is very different because reconciliation is this. Reconciliation is the decision to restore the relationship, allowing the person who has wronged me an opportunity to come back into relationship with me. The process of reconciliation should only happen when it's safe 
to be in relationship again. But in Jesus' model of prayer, he's not saying that we must reconcile with everybody who has ever hurt us, because many times that would not be healthy for us or for them. But he is saying that we need to make the choice and work towards the forgiveness. And friends, we need God's help to do that. On our own, we cannot conjure up any type of forgiveness that would wrong the injustices that someone else has done to us, the debts that people rightly owe to us. Just like daily bread, forgiveness is actually something we're dependent on God for. We are dependent on him first to receive it because we need it, and secondly, to be able to even try and offer it to the people who have wronged us. So how do we do that? Well, as we wrap up today, I want to suggest three types of lists that you might not have in your life up to this point, and you might want to consider, and maybe they would replace some of the lists that you currently are tending to keep. The first one is this, a list of gratitude. Keeping a daily, weekly, or yearly list of the things that you are grateful for. This is a practice that I've started to develop over the years. Writing down just a simple thing that I'm grateful for. Sometimes it's very hard in a day to even consider one thing. Uh, what I've been doing lately is I've been going into Facebook. If you, if you have Facebook, there's something called memories. So you can click on that button and it's gonna show you everything that happened over the last, as long as you've ever had Facebook on that specific day. And I've started to look back and see, oh, I'm grateful for that. I was grateful for this. Or a situation that I'm walking through now, I can, or then I can now see I was great, I'm grateful for now, even though I wasn't grateful for then. All that oversharing, like years ago on Facebook, it, it can come into play, it can help you in this season. But creating a list of gratitude. See, exercising gratitude actually helps us to look for and identify God's hand in our lives. It helps us identify his goodness and his presence that sometimes we forget to see, it's almost like opening up your kitchen cupboard and taking stock before you ever head to the grocery store. A gratitude list might even help you discover and reassemble some of the lists that you thought you should be keeping that you really don't have any use for now. Because as we practice gratitude, it's not hard to look at the things in our hands and realize just how blessed we are. That the cupboard has food in, me, in it for me to choose that there's a roof over my head and there's an ability for me to stay warm today, that I have been given work that I can put my hands to, that there are mouths around me to feed, that I've been given time that I can gift to others, that I've been given talents and gifts that can bless those around me. The next list that we need to practice making is this one, lists of dependency. Friends, Jesus cares about the details of our lives. In fact, he reminds us that he cares so much, God already knows what we need. He already knows us. I often receive phone calls. We have three children. And so we often receive phone calls from the school office informing us of the happenings of their day. Sometimes they're, they're positive, sometimes they're negative. Um, it's interesting. After receiving one of these phone calls, as our kids come home, I often wonder if they're going to share it with me before I share it with them. Because you know what, I already know what happened. I don't actually need my child to come home and tell me the details of the day. Regardless if they're gonna share it with me or not, I'm gonna help them. I'm gonna lean in because I'm their parent and I love them. I'm not gonna leave them alone to deal with the things in their life, even sometimes the situations that they have caused. But each time they choose to come home, 
and tell me what happened before I have to share that the office has already called, our relationship is strengthened. Because they choose to share it with me, each time they invite me into their lives, it builds trust between me and them. And the same is true with God. He already knows what we need. He is already at work providing for the things that you need. He does not need you to come to him. He already knows. But when we actually go to him and open up our hearts and share the things that are causing us stress and anxiety, he is then able not just to meet the needs that we have, but he's able to pull us closer like a parent and show us how he's going to help us. See, when we go to him, we're declaring our dependence on him, and that builds trust between us and him. Because when we go to him, I'm declaring, you know what, I need you. I can't do it on my own. I actually have a dependency on you. And this dependency is so needed if we're ever going to be able to build the third list, which is this, list of forgiveness. Friends, vulnerability is a tool that Jesus uses. When we come to God in vulnerability, admitting that we are less than, that we didn't make the mark all the time, when we declare that we're dependent on him, when we ask for his forgiveness for the things that we have chosen over him, something beautiful happens. Trust grows. And then, of course, he encourages us to model that and try and do the same for other people, to extend forgiveness, to release the debts that people rightfully owe us so that they can heal and we can too. A few months ago, we purged our house. And like I was on like a rampage and I, I just, I needed to get stuff out of our house. So for a whole week, we just gathered stuff in our front hallway and our front hallway was filled with things, stuff that we don't need, stuff that, I, that we haven't used in years. And as all those items began to pile up, I found it very difficult to consider either handing them to someone else or heading to the donation center or throwing them out on garbage day. It shocked me how connected and attached I felt to stuff I hadn't used in years. It was a difficult process to release the things that I no longer needed. And I found forgiveness to sometimes be like that. We can hold it back simply because we've just been holding on to it for so very long. But when I dropped that stuff off at the donation center and I drove back home, would you believe I, feel, I felt lighter? I felt freer? I wondered why hadn't I even considered letting this stuff go days, months, or years ago? Friends, some of us have been holding on to grudges for so long simply because our hands are so gripply tight on them. It's a hallway filled with items that no longer serve us, yet the process to let go of them seems so overwhelming. But God invites us to try, and he promises that he will help us to do that. Sometimes the first step in forgiveness is simply to say this, whether it's in prayer, whether it's to a trusted confidant uh, or a trusted mentor, or maybe sometimes it's going to the person who has wronged us and simply saying this, I'm choosing to forgive you or so-and-so and releasing the debt that this person owes to me so that I can heal and they can too. Friends, sometimes you have to say this once and like dropping stuff out the donation center, you can go home and you're done. And sometimes it's every single day reminding myself, I'm choosing to forgive, I'm choosing to release so that they can heal and I can too. As we close, I'm gonna invite you to take stock of the list that you keep. Do any of them need to change? Do you have a list of offenses that need to be purged from your life and released 
so that you can heal and someone else can as well. Maybe there's a list that you need to add to your life. Maybe it will strengthen the relationship that you have with Father God. Maybe you need to recognize your dependence on him rather than just going to him with a demanding list of needs that you need. Maybe you need to start crafting a gratitude list that's gonna help you see his hand at work in your life. Friends, this prayer that Jesus modeled for us is actually a prayer prompt, and it's a gift from Jesus to us. It's an invitation to live lighter, but also fuller at the very same time. It's an invitation to draw closer to our Father God so that we can be able to see the many ways that he has blessed our lives. I thought a fitting way to close this teaching might be to pray the Lord's Prayer together. Now, maybe as you pray this prayer, maybe it's you acknowledging. Maybe for the first time, you've never even considered your need for God. Maybe this is the first time you've considered, oh, I, I don't need to supply everything on my own. There's a creator who created me who actually wants to be involved in my life. If that's you, maybe you would take this prayer and this opportunity to say, God, I need you, and I want to follow you. Would you help me to do that? For others, as we pray this prayer, it might be a declaration that you need to make to God that you're now realizing, you know what, I'm not enough on my own, that I actually have a need for God in my life. I may have been following him for years and acting as if I don't even need him. Maybe you would use this as a confession to say, you know what, forgive me, Father, for the ways that I choose to depend on myself. Would you help me to learn to depend on you? Or maybe today this might be words admitting of the unforgiveness that you have been holding on to. Maybe some of those grudges that you don't even realize until I'm talking now and you can list one, two, three, four, five that you've really been holding on to. Maybe you're ready to make a decision to forgive someone who has rightfully wronged you or who has wronged you and you rightfully hold a debt that they owe to you. Maybe you're ready to just let that go, release the person so they can heal and you can do that. Well, you need the Father's help to do that. We can't do that on our own. The Bible tells us that God is waiting as a parent waits for his child to come to him. So let's pray this prayer together. And as we do, let's remind our hearts of how beautiful it is to follow a God who has been faithful and who, we, who humanity has been able to depend on for generations that have come and for the generations that will come. Let's pray these words together. Our Father in heaven, may your name be honored. May your kingdom come. May your will be done as in heaven, so on earth. Give us today the bread we need now and forgive us the things that we owe. We may even add and forgive us the things that we owe to you as we too have forgiven what was owed to us. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. 
So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.